What I'd like to talk about this morning um, comes out of some research that I've done with colleagues in um, London and Sydney um, interviewing inpatients, primarily young women, about their experiences of eating disorders um, and treatment for eating disorders, and some work that I've done with Irma Tishner um, interviewing men and women who might be deemed too fat about the experience of being fat. Um, and I want to draw on these two sets of interviews to explore some of the convergences in both in both how too fat bodies and too thin bodies are discursively <coughs> regulated, um, to point up, as I see it, some of the continuities in the cultural imaginary of bodies and body weight that underpin the regulation of bodies that are deemed too fat or too thin, and to explore some of the wider significance of inpatient um, critiques of their treatment for eating disorders in critiquing this discursive and media context that um, articulate those values. Um, before I launch into my analysis, though, I want to very briefly flesh out, flesh out a little of the context that I want to situate my analysis in. There is, as you no doubt know, um, already a considerable amount of research and theorising highlighting the convergences of girls and women's normative and pathologised eating disordered experiences of body weight and weight management from a range of feminist, critical feminist and mainstream perspectives. Um, and in particular, numerous critical feminist analyses have explored how anorexia and less often bulimia can be understood as discursively constituted within rather than as deviations from a range of profoundly gendered normative values and ideals of late 20th and early 21st century Western cultures. So that anorexic subjectivities, experiences and practices have been analysed as having multiple meanings and as corporeal rearticulations of a wide range of culturally dominant ideals and concerns about, for example, self-control, individualistic competitiveness, um, personal display, self-discipline, mass consumer culture, and the uncertainties of post-modernity, as well, of course, as the cultural values surrounding femininity and around the near-ubiquitous framing of female beauty in terms of thinness or slimness. So that, as Susan Bordeaux has put it, anorexia can be seen as a crystallisation of culture, as a collectivity of subjectivities and practices that are mobilised in and by a range of culturally prevalent discourses and normative cultural values, crystallising numerous aspects of our culture, including but not only media idealisations of thinness. During this le last decade, though, as we all know only too well, um, there have been, obviously, some significant shifts in the discursive fields in which gendered embodiment, body weight and weight management are constituted and regulated. And not least among these, of course, is the emergence of a highly prominent and vociferously pursued war against an alleged global epidemic of obesity. I think it's easy, um, even for those of us working in this field, to sometimes forget the enormity of this cultural shift, which I want to illustrate with this 40-year-old image from Quinton Blake's children's story, Patrick, in which the eponymous Patrick acquires a magic violin and sets out on a journey um, where he meets two children, they carry on, and then they, they then meet um, a tinker and his wife. So, look at her procession, shouted Kath, one of the children. Isn't it fun? How can he enjoy it, asked the tinker's wife. He's very thin and I don't know what to do for him. 
let me play my violin and see what happens, said Patrick. So he played a tune and you see what happened. The tinker started to get fatter. He lost his cough and his cold and his stomach ache and his headache until he was well and smiling and happy again. And under the text is this series of five images of an initially quite slim or thin man, dramatically increasing in girth, until in the final picture, the now dancing, happy man is positively rotund and might easily today be described as a beast. So this is clearly not a recent publication. How, it might be asked today, could anyone, whether male or female, be happy about such a transformation in body weight or shape? Sure, he was initially perhaps a little too thin, at least for a man, but even at the third picture, he's looking flabby, and surely at that final size, he's grossly corpulent and leading for, if not already succumbed to serious ill health. Of course, negative constructions of fat bodies have been commonplace for decades, and claims that obesity is related to poor health aren't new. But this high-profile war on this high-profile kind of warlike construction of obesity as an epidemic, and the intensity with which fat is represented as abject flesh, and the concomitant promotion of weight loss practices as national and global um, health priorities, clearly represents, as numerous people have already pointed out, a significant cultural shift in the construction and regulation of body weight. And whilst this reconfiguration of body weight as a key index of health may appear less gendered than more long-standing heteronormative constructions of body weight as a central criterion of girls' and women's beauty, the coexistence and mutual articulation together of these two um, highly prominent media constructions together no doubt ensures a continuing gendered inequality in the production, regulation and marginalisation of those with non-normative body weights. Longer-standing gendered aesthetic ideals and the heteronormative gender, gender politics they embody are, I think, the ever-present palimpsest over which fat-related health messages are written. And of course, health and beauty have also become increasingly conflated, so that <clears throat> particularly, although not exclusively at all anymore for, for women, the pursuit of culturally dominant beauty ideals is often presented as a pursuit of health whilst health, in turn, is often constituted as, as a matter of achieving ideal body weight. In the early 21st century, being healthy is arguably largely about looking healthy, a look which is heavily prescribed by the gender dictates regarding heteronormatively attractive bodies and the idealisation of thin female bodies that this entails. In this discursive context, the cultural fetishization of thinness is intensified because it's made to signify both beauty and health, while practices such as dieting, which only a short time ago were almost always presented as gender practices of beautification, largely located in women's magazines, are today frequently repackaged as seemingly less gender practices of health maximization. Within this context, then, of an alleged obesity epidemic, anorexic bodies in being too thin rather than too fat perhaps appear all the more as aberrations from widely publicised statistics about population body weights. Conversely, though, key diagnostic criteria of anorexia, such as an intense fear of fatness, an overvaluation of thinness, an overconcern with body size and shape, and an insistence on avoiding fattening foods, hardly appear peculiar. In fact, 
we might say that they seem to characterise the healthcare policies across the world as much as they do the inpatients of eating disorder wards. <coughs> Representations of fat as abject and dangerous flesh and denigrations of those deemed too fat are clearly commonplace, as are the concomitant claims about the necessity of monitoring and controlling weight and the alleged irresponsibility of those who don't. Whilst concerns about weight and weight management remain pathologised and feminised, they have also at the same time become hegemonic values, re-articulated now in terms of the neoliberal individualised responsibility for health, which in turn is frequently equated with correct body weight. So, with this neoliberalisation of health comes the subjectification of individuals who are made to choose to monitor and regulate their own bodies with increasing fervour, or else be subject to the imposition of regulation by others, so that those deemed too fat or too thin are rendered abject and pathological and made subject to the same intense scrutiny of their bodies and eating practices. This policing of those deemed too fat and the aggressive cultural knowing about fat bodies that goes with it is, of course, highly familiar and more than apparent in the words of this contributor um, to a Guardian blog who reads off the alleged truths about fat people from their bodies. But while anorexic bodies as thin bodies are often idealised, they're also at the same time subject to similarly aggressive cultural knowing and policing, where thinness as an ideal sits alongside representations of thinness as dreadful pathology, where it, and where it, the, the, the anorexic body is made as abject as fatness, and where cultural knowing about the alleged laziness, greed, and undesirable personality traits of those deemed too fat sits along stereot alongside stereotypes of anorexics as spoiled, self-obsessed, vain and mentally ill. So that Lynn here talking, talks about how she stopped going out so that she could avoid this pathologising gaze, whilst Ali describes herself as an ugly monstrosity. This cultural knowing and policing of non-normative bodies is, is, I think, similarly apparent in these next quotes. And I just want to point out that Scrumps and Blaze Blade chose their own pseudonym themselves for me. Um, but here, both Scrumps and Blade um, talk about the scrutiny that they're subjected to when eating out and buying <coughs> food in supermarkets. And Scrumps, in particular, talks about trying to avoid this disciplining gaze by not eating in front of people. In these next quotes, too, again taken from interviews with people deemed too fat, Rich and Don are similarly talking about how their eating is policed by others and how they seek to avoid knowing the knowing judgments of this policing by not eating or not eating much in public. In Jacqueline's account, though, this not eating in public appears not so much a deliberate evasion of scrutiny as an imposed invisibility where she and her partner are subjected to a cultural prohibition against fat people eating in public view. <coughs> her being seated out of sight at the back of the restaurants can, I think, be understood as expressing a cultural horror about not only fatness, but also about the uncontrolled eating that fat people are assumed to engage in. In current health orthodoxies, eating is constituted as a precise science 
a micro-regulated intake of nutrients to ensure the efficient functioning and, more importantly, perhaps, a correct appearance. So that for those with non-normative weights, eating becomes taboo because it's, in the cultural imaginary, too organic, too much about, a feared, about feared bodily appetites, rather than being about a micro-regulated, disciplined production of a particular healthy look. I want to suggest that that Cartesian image of eating as uncontrolled bodily desire, which underpins Jackie, Jacqueline's being seated at the back of restaurants, is also precisely that which often mobilises eating disordered practices such as self-starvation and binging, binging and purging. As I think these quotes um, here illustrate, where Nikki describes eating as disgusting and Zoe talks about food and eating as something done by the body when the mind isn't sufficiently in control of the body to stop this bodily urge from happening. Of course, a cultural repudiation of the flesh and of bodily desires, such as eating, has been apparent for centuries. But what I'm suggesting here is that this has been intensified in the more recent discursive collision of anti-obesity healthism with hegemonic constructions of the body as image, where sensate fleshly embodiment is obliterated by a focus on the body as surface image, as a sign commodity to be monitored and worked on in order to achieve the required look and body rhetoric. And that bodies of non-normative weights, whether they're deemed too fat or too thin, are in several senses caught in the interstices of this discursive collision. Because, as I've suggested, the image of eating as horrifying and as disgusting bodily urge can be seen as underpinning both the cultural disgust about fat people's <coughs> eating and anorexic practices of self-starvation. And because in being non-normative, in failing to signify the correct body rhetorics, and therefore um, both too fat and too thin bodies, can be seen as failing to corroborate the truth of the body, about the body as simply a surface image. Too fat bodies and too thin bodies both point up that which is repudiated, the organic, messy, lived-in nature of embodiment. <coughs> And in this scheme of things, these bodies are constituted as evidence of a failed, a failed self-regulation, and thus as requiring regulation to be imposed upon them, if this cultural imaginary of the body as image, and of eating as a micro-regulated intake of nutrients to ensure a correct look, is to be maintained. It is, of course, not surprising that those hospitalised with anorexia are subjected to intense monitoring and regulation of their eating and body weights, given the often very low BMIs and sometimes very serious health complications of inpatients at admission. Such a focus seems perhaps rather inevitable and is clearly apparent in, in our participants' accounts of their treatment experiences. What I'd like to finish by suggesting, though, is that patients' critiques of their treatment on eating disorder wards also provide critical insight into the normative orthodoxies of healthy body weight, in which the image of fat people eating has become beyond the pale. So, in these extracts, perhaps not surprisingly, as I've said, participants talk about a focus on food and body weight, but what I think is more surprising, or at least less predictable, is that they portray the hospital ward as a food house, um, where patients are fattened up and eating is something that can't be escaped. And their phrasing suggests, I think, 
a production and regulation of patients as passive bodies caught in a mechanised factory farming type process from which the only means of escape is to eat your way out of here. I want to point out that participants also talk about treatment in more positive ways than they do here, but I think this particular construction of eating disorders treatments as a mechanised a mechanized processing of patients' body weights is important, not only for what it says about participants' treatment experiences, but also because I think it, what's so stark about these accounts is the implied construction of the body as an object to be made good, a point that Helen Vermillion um, has also alluded to. And I think this construction resonates with and re-articulates culturally dominant constructions of bodies and correct body managements that we find across government and popular um, texts, where the requirement to control the body and make it fit in both senses of the word has become intensified. I think the, this convergence of anorexic, therapeutic and normative practices becomes more apparent in these next quotes too, where participants' critiques of treatment are about treatment being anorexia-like and anorexigenic. So these participants all obviously make an important critique of treatment, they're making a critique of treatment of their eating disorder, but the treatment itself re-articulates the problem that it's meant to ameliorate. That like anorexia, treatment involves an obsession with body weight and food, and a minute, rigid, rigid and ritualised observation and measuring of calories, kilojoules and kilograms. In fact, Kaz suggests that treatment is so anorexic that you can learn from it how to become more anorexic. And in this final extract, she goes on to re-articulate um, and argue that this, uh, this intense monitoring and regulation of eating and body, of eating and body weight isn't normal. She says, I mean, who gets up every morning at six o'clock or every second day to get on some scales and your whole week or your whole day is going to be stuffed or it's going to be good because of one set of scales? I don't think that's normal. So she suggests that the hospital ward is neither normal nor normalising. She raises the question of how she can become more able to do normal things while she's in this unusual environment of a hospital ward which lacks the normal socialising scenes. But she also takes weight monitoring as a specific example of this non-normality. And it's the pre precisely the frequency and rigid timing of the weighing and the significance that's attached to each measurement of body weight that her criticism focuses on. I want to disagree with Taz in her description of treatment as not normal in this way, if what she means by normal is normative. On the other hand, I think she does, what she, she means by normal in, in this context is the sense of reasonableness and something being ordinarily desirable. And I think she's rightly pointing out the problematic oddness of such meticulous, regulated and detailed monitoring of food and weight, and of the huge significance that's accorded to each body weight, which she's arguing characterises both treatment and anorexia. I want to conclude by suggesting that in pointing out what they see as the oddness of treatment and its parallels with anorexia, our participants are also pointing out the problematics of contemporary orthodoxies and normative cultural values surrounding bodies, body weight and eating. If anorexia and by implication its treatment can be seen as enacting par excellence the neoliberalised 
as individualized, hyper-disciplined micromanagement of the body, then I want to suggest that not only does this context of neoliberalized healthism and the increasing, in, increasingly intense cultural concern about bodily appearance and weight management, not only do they represent part of the conditions of possibility of anorexic subjectivities and practices, but those critiques, I think, can also be seen in this context um, as an anorexification of normative values surrounding bodies and weight management. If a core part of those, those hegemonic values is the intense monitoring and regulation of bodies in pursuit of the correct body image or rhetoric, then those bodies of non-normative weight, whether they're deemed too fat or too thin, are rendered all the more problematic and requiring a corrective regulation, precisely because they seem to insist on the organic lived-in nature of embodied flesh and to point out the illusory nature of our scientific cultural imagining of bodies as micro-regulated micro images of which the truth of ourselves can be read.